Welcome to Digital Hospitality. I am your host, Sean Walchef. This is a Cali BBQ Media production. Every single week we talk about digital hospitality. That is our running thesis. Every business needs to be digital first and every business needs to be in the hospitality business. The beautiful thing about the world that we're in right now is technology is enabling real life businesses to interact with online businesses in ways that have just never been before seen. Um, we are a barbecue restaurant. I own Cali Barbecue in Spring Valley. We were a single unit location. We opened in 2008 and most recently we are expanding in the pandemic and we opened our first ghost kitchen, um, but we're also a media company. So if you listen to this podcast, we want to teach you that you have all the tools at your fingertips to start producing media content, to start being a digital storyteller. No matter what you do in life, whether you're in sales, whether you're in marketing, whether you're you own a business, we have the gifts. We are building on the backs of giants um, in order to get our message out. If you have a charity that you want to impact, you can impact that charity so much more if you carry the message and you use the tools that are available on the smartphone. Um, today's guest is Jordan Bosch. He is the CEO of Seven Shifts. It's a technology company, um, and they're doing some incredible work. I actually interacted, first interacted with Jordan on LinkedIn. So another reason why I tell every listener that need to be on all platforms. But uh, Jordan actually DM'd me after he saw our Toast point of sale unboxing video. So my general manager, Eric, and myself, we made a video for Toast once we onboarded as them becoming their point of sale. So they became our point of sale company after spending 12 years with Aloha. Aloha was our legacy point of sale. When we opened in 2008, we picked Aloha instead of going with micros. Aloha was an incredible decision. They did incredible work for us. But once we became a digital first restaurant, we knew that we needed to upgrade our technology. Um, we made this video for Toast. I have a three-year-old son and he watches kids unbox micro machines and monster trucks and Hot Wheels. Um, I think the kids have something like 50 million subscribers on YouTube. They get pay, paid a lot of money, $20 million a year to unbox videos, but we thought it would be funny and corny at the same time to unbox our tech gear. Um, the reason I talk about this video a lot, and it's on our YouTube page, you can go and see it at Cali Barbecue Media, but it's so important when you realize that's the digital storytelling. It's not who is going to care about this video, but it's the fact that it's a restaurant owner. It's his general manager, who's my business partner, going over why we're switching from Aloha to Toast. And that resonates with another restaurant owner that might be thinking about making that same switch um, that might have some hesitation. That also resonates with anyone that works for Toast, a company that has you know 1,600 employees during the pandemic. They had more pre-pandemic, um, but they're going to grow to a much bigger company because of the work that they're doing. But all the engineers, all the people that design the tech behind that product, all the people that work in marketing, all the people that work in sales, all the people that touch this experience is now being shared through video, through audio, through written word. And that's what we teach you guys how to do. Um, today, we're going to have a great conversation with Jordan. Um, uh, specifically, I've got some deep dives. I've done a digital deep dive of what Jordan's been putting out there on the internet. And I, I can't wait for him to answer some of these questions. But Jordan, welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks, Sean. Thanks for, uh, thanks for having me. Well, thank you for reaching out. Um, you saw the Toast unboxing video. What um, what were your feelings when you saw the video? I much like like you described. Like it, it just you know made me think of all these unboxing videos on YouTube around you know all, <laughs> tons of hype around and excitement around you know like it, like it just being Christmas time, right? 
And I think that, you know, the, the sentiment uh, just generally and, and excitement um, around it is, is similar to the excitement that we see, you know, largely with, um, you know, folks like Toast and, and, you know, cloud-based point of sales as, as operators kind of adopt this, this, um, you know, kind of like you mentioned, going into kind of like the digital first age and, you know, cloud-based and, and making sure that you have all the tools to set you up for success. So I was, you know, uh, I was excited just watching you guys kind of go through that because I can just imagine how many more operators are now going through that type of experience um, that are like that made it through COVID or even opening new restaurants um, kind of like as we're hopefully at the tail end of it. So I think there's going to be a lot of excitement felt generally in the industry. I think we've made a lot of, I think we made leaps and bounds um, of progress beyond where we were at, you know, even a few years ago. Yeah. And I think, you know, one of the important things that we teach, um, you know, our listeners, people that follow this podcast is you, you just, you never know who's watching. You never, once you start producing content for your website first, but then you distribute it for social and you put it on places like LinkedIn, if you put it on places where people are, you'd be amazed at how easy it is to start to develop a relationship. And, you know, for you to reach out as the CEO of this incredible, you know, software company that's doing all this incredible thing in labor management and employee happiness that I've already been aware of the content that you guys were putting out, not only was aware of it, but I had other restaurant owners recommending seven shifts to us um, for you to reach out um, the way that you did, knowing how busy your schedule is. I just knew that you got it. You understand the game within the game. And that's something that we talk about frequently is, you know, it doesn't matter what position you are in the company, you need to be active on social and you need to understand that's where the pulse is. So even if it not, might not be your job in sales to do marketing, guess what? it's everybody's job. Being digital is everybody's job. Carrying the mission is everybody's job. And, um, you know, what's exciting to me is as I was doing this digital deep dive, you know, in preparation for the interview, um, I was looking up that you published an article on April 4th, 2020. And I want to bring you back to that article. Um, it was a medium article and it was our strategy to COVID-19 layoffs. Uh, can you tell me about Monday, March 30th, 2020? Um, yeah. I mean, it was not a fun experience, right? I think I've, as the industry was getting really hammered, um, yeah, like I think everyone in the restaurant industry and, and just a lot of businesses had the rug pulled out from underneath them and, and we were no exception. And so we very quickly, you know, assessed the business, how, and also looking at how many restaurants and our customers were calling us saying like, hey, like I'm kind of, uh, I need I need some sort of relief from a payments perspective. I need you guys to put my account on hold. And we were just kind of reacting, right? We're like, oh my God, like absolutely no problem. It, we didn't even think twice. Like I know, you know, even some folks out there, um, you know, competitors of ours um, were just like not even offering any type of relief for these restaurants. I, I couldn't believe it. I was like, guys, this is a long-term game. Like, like, it's, it's insane that you're not going to offer, you know? So we had a lot of folks, um, you know, even as towards the end of the year that came to us that were like, Hey, we didn't get any like support. We saw that you guys supported your customers really well. So um, that attracted a whole new set of, of, of partners and customers after it. But yeah, we, we put a bunch of folks on hold, like thousands of accounts. So our revenue kind of went like, you know, and then we slowly did this kind of, Nike swoosh kind of check mark curve back starting to climb again, but we had to furlough like 40 people 
like in a moment's notice, it felt like. And so we were constantly meeting with the executive team and we were just figuring out what the best course of action was. We are a, we have a very strong culture at our company of, you know, radical transparency and, and um, you know, there's large ownership, everyone in the company owns stock in the company. Like there's a, there's an immense amount of, you know, ownership and buying that we have. And so, you know, this was a moment where we could, you know, either, you know, make something up or, or, and like, you know, not do a great job communicating, or it could be a moment where we buckle down and, and be super honest about what's going on. And we tell everyone like, this sucks. And like, we have to do this from a business perspective. And like, you know, we're, so we had, we had to tell the company basically that we had to lay off 40 people and that they would get a call like after this kind of all hands meeting from their managers, um, kind of the managers would be with every person individually to let them know, like if that's, if they're affected, if they're not. And so, yeah, I mean, like people were kind of like sitting on pins and needles to like, you know, what, what are they going to say in my call? And, and yeah, I mean, after that, we went through that, the, the outpour from not only existing staff, but staff that were furloughed, to me personally. And we're just like, Hey, Jordan, totally understand. Like, I'd love to come back as soon as you guys will have me back, you know? And like, so many people are just like, Hey, I'll wait. I don't, I don't care that I was furloughed. Like I'll, I'll wait. Like I want back in, in, in the, in the company. And yeah, we got a lot of messages and support from, you know, existing employees that said like, Hey, like you guys handled that like better than any company that would have ever handled this situation. So we got a lot of really positive feedback from employees. So like existing employees and ones we had to furlough were like, this is like, like, I couldn't believe it. I, I just couldn't believe like an employee that was furloughed was telling me that like, don't worry, Jordan. Like, I know this was hard for you. And I'm yeah. like, no, no, but like, I furloughed you. Like it was just mind boggling to me. And it just showed the amount of ownership that people had and understood that this was a really hard decision. And um, so I was talking to some other portfolio companies that were having to go through some, something very similar to this in you know, a number of weeks uh, and like the next week or two or whatever it was, they were all planning it. And we had just gone through it. And I, being, being that I'm from a software background, being software, I opened, I wrote a lot of stuff and I open sourced it. And that's how we kind of grew this community and, and collaborated on something that eventually became better because of the collaboration. And I wanted to do that. I still, I still have that like open source mentality about just anything I do really. So I said to our leadership team, guys, like, I want to like, like, why don't just put this framework out? Uh, if other folks have to go through it, I'll message a bunch of our investors and our investors pass it along to all their portfolio companies saying like, here's what seven shifts did. Like the feedback was incredibly strong from their employees. And, and so, yeah, we, we, we put it out there. It was not fun, but, um, the more that I feel I can help others, you know, go through something really challenging. Um, you know, I think the better off we can, we'll all be, um, through like a very hard time. Yeah. We're going to put a Stover. We'll put a link into the show notes, um, of the medium article, but also the 15 page document, um, which is really the strategy, you know, it's the inside baseball. It's the, this is the play by play of how we're going to do it and how we're going to set up the Google calendar invite and what the Slack channel is going to be. It's really, it's really a look inside of the company and back to radical transparency. I mean, that's something that 
we believe in. Otherwise, we wouldn't be publishing content about us unboxing, you know, our tech gear if we didn't think there was somebody, you know, one person. If there's one person that cares that we're helping them make a better point of sale decision, and then then it's worthwhile for us. Um, we believe a rising tide lifts all ships. We've never believed we're the best barbecue. Best and worst is just not something. That's not the playground. It's unique. Every single barbecue is unique, and we were, you know, we've built a culture of the West Coast barbecue movement, and it's all of us sharing. You know, we have the craft beer industry in San Diego, where it was this huge collaboration between Ballast Point and Stone and all these incredible craft beer brands where instead of cannibalizing each other, you know, Pepsi versus Coke, they were actually sharing ideas. And because of it, they've created this craft beer mecca in San Diego. And, you know, the playbook is there. You know, that's something that I've always erred on the side of oversharing instead of undersharing. Yeah. Uh, do, you, do you know at what point in your life you realized that open source was something of, it was inherent in who you were, it was in your DNA. Do you remember any stories of back when you were a child? Yeah, I mean, like, thinking back to when I was a child, I honestly, I think I the, the earliest memory I, I have of kind of like sharing what I did was probably, um, <laughs> Going back to like elementary school, I used to draw a lot. I used to love like drawing and, you know, I, I just did. And um, I would always draw things for, and then they were, they, you know, they were, they were, I guess, at least good enough that people wanted them. And, and so I would, you know, I would also like um, draw a lot of stuff and just kind of give it to people in my class and kind of share it around and other people like, you know, I, I can remember like other people like adding to it and, and drawing like, uh, and kind of extend, it's funny, like extending like my art, like, really? like, what were you drawing? Do you remember? um, it was just like, I was, it was stuff that's like, um, I mean, I was big into like toy story, like it's like Disney characters and yeah. stuff like that when I was a kid. And so that, that's probably like the earliest memory I have, of like open sourcing some stuff was just kind of like sharing what I was doing and, but people were intrigued, um, to begin with, it kind of had to like both kind of had to intersect. Like there was a, a level of intrigue and there was like a level of like delivery on that thing. But it was even strengthened when I got into programming, right? Because everything in, in a coder's world is well, basically everything is open source. So um, I contributed to a lot of like core frameworks for um, certain libraries um, in, in the software world. And that just kind of like fueled it. And I also thought that it's a good, it's also just a good mechanism to attract what you want to attract. Like you, do you want to attract the best software engineers to your company? You know, open source some of your stuff and allow people to collaborate on it and see that you have a strong engineering culture. Um, and so I think that, you know, I want to, uh, I also want to get, you know, through the COVID plan and the strategy that we had, I wanted to attract other CEOs that I can collaborate with and that I could learn stuff from at the same time. So it's kind of, it was, it's also a mechanism to attract um, great people that you can also continue to learn from. Can you bring us into the minds of an engineer? I mean, it's something that, you know, doing this digital hospitality podcast, I'm fascinated by, I just talked to a lot of different tech CEOs and people that have built incredible products that we use as restaurant owners and operators. But one of the things I talk to other restaurant owners and business owners about is not just how incredible the smartphone is and all these oh shit moments that when you're saving time and you're saving money and you can focus on doing what we all do best, which is hospitality, making these memorable moments for these guests. Um, so many of us don't understand that the feedback 
you know, the feedback loop, us giving feedback to our tech partners is something that's so integral into making those companies actual true partnerships. This isn't a vendor relationship. This is a true partnership. And, you know, if an engineer knew that something that they made didn't work on our end, if they knew that, you know, a server or a bartender or our manager couldn't do a function because of how it was laid out on their site, it would drive them nuts. But, you know, same thing in the restaurant. Somebody's going to complain every single day instead of actually giving the feedback where the truth, the truth vibrates the fastest. So yeah, yeah. that truth to the somebody that can actually do something with it. But if you don't build that culture where you're receiving of that feedback from your restaurant partners, you can't really do anything about it. Exactly. And it starts with, it starts with the people you have in your company as, as you, as you know, too, like um, you are, setting the example for the rest of the people that are going to be part of your, your mission and your vision and why you do what you do. And those people um, have certain traits that you inherently value and that you should probably possess yourself. That's why you were probably attracted to those specific individuals, but that needs to then, (laughs) then by virtue of that, those people, the way they interact with your customers and get feedback is similar to the way that you would. You know, assuming that you want to be the role model for the rest of your people. And so we at like even at seven shifts, being kind of a product and engineer background too, like I can't, I can't build a great product unless people are telling us what's not great about it and, and where we, and where we can improve. So, but that also meant that we have to behave that way internally throughout any feedback that we get from our peers unrelated to the software itself. You know, if I don't like the way you, you know, you ran that meeting and or I have some suggestions and we had some friction, like let's debrief Sean, like, Hey, like just so we're clear, I, I felt a little bit of tension and, you know, I just want to make sure we're still good. Like, here's what I was trying to say. And you're like, Oh man, you know, you know, I, I was reading that wrong. Here's what I was thinking you were saying. Oh, okay, good. Like, cool. We're, we're good. And so that, radical candor is a core value of ours, but that, that it's, that in itself goes, goes down to the customers. And so when a customer calls and says, you know, I have a pain point or how does this work? Or I have some feedback. They're going like, yeah, like, no, I agree. I hear you. Um, what about this? And you know what? Oh, it doesn't work in that way. Okay. Well, let me pass that feedback to the product team. And I'm going to have, I'm going to set up a follow-up call, you know, at this point, and we're going to circle back with you. So it's kind of like that you're building trust, but you're also just like, you need that feedback, but it needs to be an, it needs to be an integral part of your, your company culture first. Yeah. I think, you know, radical candor is something that, you know, we, we talk about um, brutal honesty Uh, also it's either brutal honesty or it's compassionate honesty, but it cuts it's efficient. If it's done with compassion, if it's done with heart, if it's done with understanding, it's more efficient and it can actually result in change and change for the good. And I think that's something that I'm always fascinated by to see how different companies use that feedback loop. You know, what we talk about for restaurant owners is we use Yelp. You know, Yelp is such this integral part of our business. We have over 2,300 reviews on Yelp. Before, when we first started, it was a love-hate relationship with Yelp back in, you know, 2008, 2009, when we were first starting out. But, you know, when the more that I look at that, 
the more that I realized, you know, really Yelp was just a mirror. <laughs> it was a mirror for our business. And it didn't mean that every single review, one-star review meant that we were the worst restaurant on earth. Didn't mean the best five-star reviews meant we were the best restaurant on earth. But the trends, when I started looking at the data and I look at that feedback loop, I go, now we can actually have operational feedback that, hey, maybe this brisket that we're making isn't as good as we think it is. And yeah. if there are multiple people that are saying it, operationally, let's go and let's check. Let's go through our process. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's not about like, yeah, you're right. It's like not the one outlier. It's like you see the trends, mm -hmm. you know, you hear it enough from so many people. You, you, you need to act on it. You need to do something because something is not right. And it allows you to focus on the things that will make the most impact to get those people to come back. Right. There's always things you can improve, but you're always trying to put out the biggest fire. Yeah, right? correct. So there was a statistic I came across that said 70% of restaurants use scheduling with pencil and paper still? Is that correct? Do we have updated figures on that? Yeah, not since the pandemic. Uh, I think like the numbers yes. change given like the growth that we're seeing in our business, um, which is exciting that we're, that we're able to help so many operators. But, you know, um, prior to the pandemic, we did survey, you know, some, some big cities and, and found that that was the case. Um, and so, yeah, we were, we were shocked, um, but it also meant a really big opportunity to, you know, help people manage a lot of the aspects of labor management in a more efficient and streamlined way. Because as you know, like there's a, there's a set of folks that, yeah, they're, they're early adopters or they, you know, they, they, they adopt technology very easily, but there is a large amount of folks that, you know, look, unless it's like a revenue generator for them, they're like, Oh, it's a cost. And it's like, Hey, but you know, you, let's unpack that a little bit. Like what's your turnover? Like, yeah. you know, how much time are you spending on this? How much time are you spending on that? Let's, let's understand like, you know, you got to dig deeper. And so I do think um, with the pandemic, it's forced a lot of operators to look at, you know, looking at best in class software to solve some of these inherent um, issues that they, they, to be honest, I think it's just, it's becoming less of a want, more of a need, um, especially in our day and age right now. Oh, without, without a doubt. I mean, it's something that, you know, we, we attribute so much of our growth, so much of our current success to literally having no other option, but to understand the smartphone and all the apps that were on it, you know, opening yeah. in 2008. If we didn't do that, if we weren't forced to, you know, make sure that all of my managers that I pay for them to have iPhones so that they can log things onto their, you know, into their logs, like all of that stuff was so important for us to get to where we are so that, now, you know, like you said, this, this, we talk about all the time that the pandemic has only accelerated what has already been happening. And you know that as a tech, as a tech CEO, you see it in your numbers. It's something that you were just as confident when you were furloughing your employees, knowing that this will come back. You know, it will come back. This is only a matter of time where restaurant owners, small business owners, people start to go, listen, we cannot, you know, I'll give you a perfect example of, you know, a food vendor relationship, our primary food partners, US Foods, and they've done an incredible job building their online system so that, you know, our rep, Gabe is our rep, and he does a phenomenal job. But before there was a time back when we opened the restaurant where I had my kitchen manager go and he would go through our inventory, count what we needed on a clipboard, write it down with pencil, you know, we need six cases of ribs, we need five, you know, heads of lettuce, whatever it was. And then US Foods would send out the rep 
out to the restaurant. They would both meet and the U.S. foods rep would put into his proprietary software with his laptop the exact thing that my like literally the amount of time duplicating effort. Yeah. <laughs> when literally my kitchen manager now, Lisa, she can go in with her iPhone and literally input her order directly. Yeah. Directly to U.S. foods. And that's not about eliminating the. Was US that recent? Food. Like how early was that? Oh, when did we start input uh, doing manual orders? Or sorry. How, when would you guys start? Yeah. When did Lisa, when was she able to do it just on her phone? We, able to, we started doing uh, on uh, online orders probably in 2016, 2017, something like that. Yeah. Yeah, yes. so it's, it's a good evolution. Smartphones done amazing things. Smartphones have done amazing things. Can you can you bring us bring us back to to the beginning, um, the beginning of hot schedules and and how did it how did it seven get? shifts? <laughs> <laughs> the big competitor. Yeah, you didn't create the hot schedules. You created seven shifts. No, I Thank didn't you. create that one. Um, uh, well, we will talk about hot schedules because I have no problem talking about the competitor. Yeah, yeah, no, as, as, as evidence in my toast video. Yeah, yeah, no, no worries at all. Um, I'm happy to talk about them too. But uh, yeah, in terms of the the background and story of Seven Shifts, I I grew up working um, for like some quick service restaurants that my dad ran. My my grandparents also ran some quick service restaurants, and um, I worked in in them growing up and ate a lot of the food for free, <laughs> um, and, uh, and and but also like learned. Uh, I spent a lot of time, um, you know, just watching my dad manage certain things in, in ways that um, I saw, I saw a lot of his strengths and I thought I saw a lot of areas that I think I could maybe help improve. So a lot of his strengths were just like how he, like how he recruited people, his philosophies around, you know, getting the right people in the door and, you know, his depth of interview process. Like he was definitely more thorough than anyone I've ever seen. And on it by, by all accounts, like it was a great place to work. Like everyone loved working for, for my dad. And, and, um, how many employees did he have? He had about 30, I want to say. Um, and then he had a second location. So kind of went up to probably 50, maybe 60. Um, but I saw him trying to schedule staff and manage labor. And it was just kind of painful to watch him do that. He had like sticky notes all over, all over his screen. And I taught myself how to write some code to build something really small where he could upload an Excel spreadsheet and staff could all log into this website I created and just download that one spreadsheet using oh, wow. the same login info across. What year, all what year is this? This was like 20, this is like 2000 and eight, I want to say 2008. This is, I was just getting into programming and I was like, it'd be super cool if my dad, Why did you get into programming? I, I love building things. And I, but not only that, um, I love the feeling of helping another person, um, through something that I built or was a part of building and like the look on their face and the delight of making something easier for them became like a very, it just it's a it, like it was a it was a driving force for me that's why and i built a lot of different apps and throughout my my time in building seven shifts um, or iterations of seven shifts I, I ended up going to school out east in canada and then i moved to france for a little while um and consulted there and i moved back to canada and then i moved to the bay area so i lived in like san mateo for you know five months and went through an accelerator program there with a few co-founders and we raised some money brought it back to canada one of the co-founders is your wife. Yeah. Yeah. Was, fun she, your, was, was she your co-founder? Was she your wife when you went through the accelerator program? No, 
Not yet. Or sorry. Yes. Yes. She was. We just married right before we okay. left. Okay. Um, but I, we're, we're actually like high school sweethearts. Like we knew each okay. other. Okay. So, Perfect. So it's not like the, I just heard that the Canva uh, co-founders are both husband and wife, but they met, they met in the company. Yeah. <laughs> That's so funny. I, um, yeah, so we're, we, 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 we went, before, we were um, dating before that, but okay, fair um, enough. Yeah, like we we were building it. She wanted to be a part of it, and I, I she's super smart, and you know she helped us build the company. And third co-founder Johannes was doing mobile development, and yeah, we we took we raised some money, brought it back to Canada, and people thought we were stupid and crazy for leaving like the tech ecosystem of the world, like the Bay Area, to go to you know a place that no one could pronounce. Um, and yeah, we're just like look, Saskatchewan, right? Saskatchewan. Yeah, you nailed it. Um, but that 150K that we raised, like it just lasted so much longer in uh, in Saskatchewan because uh, it converted US dollars and we won the lottery. Bought jet oh, skis. I didn't even think about that. <laughs> lottery jet skis. <laughs> um, no, but it was like, it was awesome in the sense that we could really focus our product on restaurants. I always hated being kind of like the jack of all master of none because uh, I worked at a lot of companies that were just kind of like, let's build whatever sales says. And it was just like, guys, like what's our vision? What are, why do people... Uh, why do we get up in the morning? Why do we build something? Why do we believe it's great? And if I don't believe that it's great, like I'm not going to try and hire people, you know, to do it with me if I don't think it's great and worth working immense crazy hours for. Yeah. So I needed to get behind something that was like the best in best of breed. And this was in 2013 where we just said, we're doing only restaurants. We're going back to our roots because we kind of diverged a little bit. We were starting to do some other industries and we, we went back there, we, we focused on restaurants, we built things and we targeted them and we established great partnerships, you know, Toast is one of them. And, um, you know, early on, we kind of like established some roots there. And then now we built the product and kind of amassed, you know, almost 17,000 locations now. And, and we're, we're continuing to grow pretty rapidly, but, um, but we wouldn't have gotten there without the support of our operators and giving us the feedback. And I mean, you know, this as a, as an operator too, right? You're, you're constantly, as you grow, you're constantly like trying to stay attuned to how people are enjoying the product. How like, you know, are they enjoying the food? Like what's not, what's not working? Can we make it better? And you're, you're in this constant state of iteration, but it's so fun because like, it's just, you get to see it unfold and people say like, this saved me hours. This saved me, you know, thousands of dollars per month from like these, you know, punch enforcement and compliance that you guys do. Like it's so turnkey and like, I didn't have to do any of this and my staff all love you and all the managers love the product. Like it's, we, we really focus on, on thinking about like, this is kind of like a teeter totter in terms of a product. Like we need to build something incredibly valuable where the, the operators will say, yeah, I'll pay for this and I'll see the, and I can see the value. And then on the, the other side, the employees need to be like, this is a highly engaging product that, you know, I, that I rely upon that I find easy to use that I'm not going to, you know, write horrible things on in the app store when I use it. Right. Like, and not charge the employees for it. Um, because I think that, you know, these restaurant industry employs the highest number of teenagers out of any private industry in North America. Like they, uh, you know, they're not making a ton of money. Um, on top of that, they expect products like Instagram and Facebook and it needs to feel and behave like a modern product or they just won't use it. So, um, those are, those are kind of the, the areas that we constantly balance. It's a, it's a good like tug of war, but both sides are really important for the success of our platform. So I'll ask you what the elephant in the room is. And that's when you're building a company and you decide to focus just on restaurants, 
you have to address what's going to make you different than hot schedules. Um, you know, the same way that toast has to address what's going to make them different than Aloha. You know, I've been fortunate to, you know, build a relationship with Chris Comparato who's the CEO now CEO of toast. And I know there's a lot of co-founders um, before that. Um, but when you're building this, it's always, well, can we even do it? Can we even compete? How do we do it? Yeah, I, um, I wanted to, I saw an opportunity to build a product that was um, at kind of like the base level, very, very simple, easy to use, self-serving, where you didn't need a person to get you set up. Now we still provide people to help, right? That's part of it. But um, I wanted to build something for a persona, like a restaurant operator slash manager where they don't have time to like sit on calls and like, they don't have, like, they don't want to do demos. They don't want to like hear your sales pitch, like F off. They've got tons of stuff to do. Talk to the rest of the tech companies. Hospitality, please. It's nuts. I don't need a a four hour zoom onboarding. I know. And like, they're going to schedule for two weeks from now. And it's like, it's like, guys, like, I don't know what's going to be in. I don't know where I'm going to be in two weeks. Like, can't schedule that far out. Like, are you available right now? So like, that's like what we cater to is like, yeah, we're available right now. Like, let's do it. Like, what do you need help with? let's get it solved. You know, you got fires to put out in the kitchen, like let's get back to it. So um, simplicity and user experience was kind of at the core and we saw an opportunity to do something really strong there. Um, But we also saw an opportunity to kind of um, build into the restaurant stack in a depth that we haven't seen out there um, in the terms of, and not just um, integrating with lots of things, but going really deep with those things where like you enter an employee in seven shifts and it syncs with like with toast and the rules sync and the wages sync. And like, it's like, you don't have to think about doing all those duplicate entries and all your other systems. And I don't think people that are thought about that as much as we've thought about that and built like the mapping interfaces to do that in a really simple way so that there's no manual entries um, to, to waste time. And so going really deep into the technology stack as a software engineer is very important to me. Um, and at that same time, thinking about um, engagement and employee happiness and, and what that really means and how that factors into the labor management story. I also didn't see anyone that was really, you know, really harnessing the things that we valued in um, company culture and, and levels of engagement that, that, and so I felt we had an opportunity to do that. So with, when we look at the the life cycles, what we refer to it in seven shifts, the employee life cycle, we want to, um, we want to tackle things in a single platform, uh, everything from hiring, training, scheduling, which is our core and communication to, you know, after you're scheduled, you then get paid using a payroll company, and then you're effectively engaged until uh, and retained until you quit or are terminated. So hiring, training, scheduling, paying and retaining are areas that if you were to ask me, like, what are we building? Like, I'll, I'll tell you, like, we're building hiring right now, we're releasing it in the next month, we're doing onboarding, like, we're completing that flow of um, tying the life cycle together. And so, um, that, that's a really important thing where people, as we've built our business, they've seen us as kind of the hub and platform in which they want to do all their stuff in because they said that like, people are just like, I don't want to put this in ADP. I don't want to put this in, you know, at this point, I say, I want to put it in seven shifts. And, um, you know, we, we hear that and, and we want to try and think of ourselves as that, at that hub as we expand. But even just to touch on the engagement thing, which is I, which is another kind of large differentiator in terms of how we think about it is we have an, an entire engaged product that is centered around um, 
predicting like turnover <laughs> to a degree um, that is you that was used by like a, a smaller chain in in, in New York and um, you know we we have kind of like sentiment and engagement scores based on like store level and and like you know multi unit level and all these scores dropped um, in one of their stores like all the employees were like I'm not happy and basically you know sentiment analysis and understanding like you know, why they're not happy reading the comments, kind of doing keyword analysis and, and be able to say that that's a store that's not as happy and turnovers rising and it's predicted to continue to rise. The, the managers kind of got on that and said, um, like, Oh my God, what's going on. They found out that it was a bad manager hire that was driving kind of this, 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 um, unhappiness. Um, and they got rid of that manager and all the scores went back up. And so like having a pulse when you're a little bit further away from the stores, you're not on the floor level to know that like a manager is causing this type of, you know, almost like turmoil. And like, it's, it's sad that like, you might not know that that's going on because you're a few layers removed from it. And so, um, yeah, we want to give a little bit more insight into like your people, like, are they showing up on time? And, and if they are great and like all of a sudden, like they're showing up on time, they posted their availability on time. They they're picking up shifts for others. They communicate frequently. And all of a sudden they're not picking up shifts. They're dropping their Friday shifts. Weird Fridays when they get paid the most and they consistently work that they're not like communicating as much. Their availability is always late. The score is lower now. Right. And so like all we're trying to do, Sean, is say like, maybe have a conversation with that employee. If it's someone you care about, you're probably going to want to know what's going on and seeing if you can just say like, hey, you know, Mark or, you know, Tina, how you, how are you doing? And so it might just be like, oh, I've had like a crappy week, like my grandma passed away or there might be something behind it. But like, I want to be able to give managers tools um, to help make their job a little bit easier, um, especially when there are so many first-time managers in this space that have no idea what they're doing and they're kind of learning, you know, on the fly. How can we give them tools to help them keep a better pulse and to ask the right questions and to try and retain the best um, because it's, you know, it's a competitive market, so. Yeah, I think one of the fascinating things that you touched on is is going deeper. And when you go deeper, you don't realize how much more there is. You know, once you start mining deeper and you go deeper into a category and you, you know, simplify, getting down to simplification. But then once you start working more with a company like Toast and you start to, well, how can we improve this and how can we improve this part of it? You know, the biggest compliment that you can get is Howard Solomon, who's our consultant, who's one of the you know brightest minds on the West Coast. He's consulted with hundreds, if not thousands of restaurants. Um, he's helping us roll out our ghost kitchens, but he also works for Sam the Cook guy and Sam, the cooking guy has four different brands, but they're on seven shifts, you know, so they're using seven shifts. But when he's meeting with me and Eric, my general manager, what he's showing me to talk about toast is a seven shifts report. It's literally the dashboard of seven shifts showing this is the, these are the easiest to read statistics and easiest to read pulse of the restaurant. I don't know if there's a higher compliment that that there can be when, you know, we're all the amount of tech that's coming into restaurants. And obviously, yes, we're a tech, tech forward restaurant and, uh, and business. But how do I manage it all? How do I I can't log into all these different dashboards? I can't open up all these different apps or expect my managers to open up all these apps. I got to go to where is it the cleanest? Where is it the easiest under understand? Where's the most actionable? Why is that so important for you guys? 
I think for all the reasons you mentioned, right? People use it. Right? Like if it's super it. easy, people just use it. Yeah, if, if, if you get simpler than that. It, if you don't use the tech, it's chances are it's not very good. Yeah. So I mean that's that's kind of goes to our point of like I, I think by focusing on restaurants specifically, um yeah, we're like we the amount of reports and schedules that and like task lists that I get sent to me that I ask customers to like send me what you do today. I keep a huge folder and like our product team, we all analyze it. And I'm just like, it needs, it, it needs to like, look like this, like this is how restaurants look at things. And this is how like we need to make sense for them because um, yeah, I think you're thinking of like folks that try and tackle what we're doing on a horizontal basis where they like do a bit of retail, they do like hospitals, they do like construction sites and dog grooming companies. It's like, you're never going to get the depth of like how an operator wants to look at their information to make sound decisions around what they do every day. So, yeah, I think that's uh, so true. It's one of the things that fascinates me. I, I'd be curious from your perspective, you know, we start this podcast, every business needs to be digital first, but every business also needs to be in the hospitality business. It's something that I talk about frequently with, with, uh, with tech entrepreneurs, tech CEOs, people in sales and marketing that work for incredible companies, but 100%. what is hospitality and tech and how can tech be better? Hospitality and tech, um, I would almost define it as just having empathy, like having an immense amount of empathy for the end user of that product and that piece of technology. Um, because like, if you do, you're going to, you're going to, you're going to show all those hospitable traits that you see in the restaurant industry. Like, Hey, how's your food? Can I get you anything? You know, like that type of feeling of when you use a product, like you know, if it, if it's meeting your needs and you have someone on top of that saying like, how are things going? Can we help you to continue to make it better? And it's already good. Like, you know, you're earning like a, you know, you're earning an 11 out of 10, you know, yeah. in that regard. So I think, I think, I think about empathy a lot um, as it relates to, yeah, just the hospitality in general. So I couldn't agree more with you. I think that's a very valuable business um, trait that, yeah, everyone should possess because, it's not always about what bells and whistles a thing does. Yeah. Um, you know, I think people under um, estimate the value of strong hospitality and empathy as, as a customer. And like that alone can be a distinct selling feature. Right. Well, ultimately that's, that's what, when, when I hear you describe seven shifts, it's, you're describing the alchemy. I mean, you're describing the magic that makes incredible technology. When you're talking to me about not wasting my time with an onboarding call with one of, you know, somebody from sales or somebody from onboarding, that's going to take me through and show me all the bells and whistles. And it's like, it's hard for people to know that like, not everyone gives a shit. And if the, if, if it does work, then they're going to figure out how to use it. And that means you did your job. You know, I can't explain great hospitality, but I know that I don't need a server to go. If somebody has to ask to get their iced tea refilled, yeah, that's not hospitable. A server anticipating the needs and seeing that the cup is, is halfway there and coming and refilling the iced tea. It's a great point. Yeah. That's what it is. You yeah. know, and on the technology the anticipation. Side, yeah. it's the anticipation of the problem. And you've already like your magic is that you've already solved the problem of me importing what I need to my accounting firm, you know, restaurant solutions, Inc. You're solving that integration piece. Or if it's not solved, you go, Hey, Sean, I'm going to work on it because I know restaurant solutions, they have 1600, uh, 1600 restaurants, 5,000 roofs, you know, they're, 
a great potential partner that we have. And if I can solve it for them, chances are I can solve it for another, you know, um, accounting tech. Mm-hmm. Totally. Yeah. I think in, I think just really embedding yourself in the customer's, um, pains is like the best way to go. And I think, um, yeah, I mean, I just think of like our product team, like prior to the pandemic, we were sitting in restaurants with people. Like we still do. We still like sit in there with the operators. We like talk to them. We have like, you know, weekly calls with like certain folks that are, you know, provide really great feedback. And like, I think you got like, it doesn't matter technology or not. That's just business. Like you gotta, you gotta create those open lines of communication and, and not have an ego about it. It, stuff's not going to be perfect. I know everyone likes to think, you know, their shit don't stink, but like, look, you gotta, you gotta just embrace, you gotta embrace the feedback. You really do. It's going to make you better. It's going to make your customers happier. It's going to make everything better. Yeah. Well, developing that feedback loop so that you can actually do something about it. You know, it's when it's the squeaky wheel, if nobody can, you know, it's just keep squeaking, but somebody actually, we have to meet and we have to have an actionable plan to do something about it. And I think, you know, that's the thing that excites me the most about companies like yours is that you're giving us the tools that we need to actually make sure that happiness is something that is top of mind for our staff. You know, the fact that you, you ask a question at the end of every shift, how is your shift? I mean, I'll, there's no chance that my managers, and I love my managers, they're, they've been with us for since we started, but there's no chance they ask every single employee, how was your shift? I mean, if they ask one or two today, I'd be surprised. It's just, it's a very difficult thing to do. And but, even on top of that, are you going to get an honest answer? You even know, better, correct. Even you better. Folks that are just like, I don't want to tell my manager that I don't like working for him. <laughs> it's like, okay, well, how is that? You know, how how are you going to get that feedback to the top? Like, how are you going to really? And and maybe it has to be anonymous, and and you know, maybe that's kind of like you. I think establishing that trust through the like leveraging a bit of technology to establish that trust from the employee level um, can it can help you know the manager immensely and and the operator think of like Yelp, right? Yeah. Like it's, it's like restauranters love and hate it. It's a love and hate thing. But like at the end of the day, it's those trends that you mentioned. It's those trends that you need to watch for. Right. Yeah. It's definitely the trends. Um, I'd love to hear about how do you, how do you build a tech company? How do you, how do you, how do you raise money? <sighs> Not enough time for that call. <laughs> <laughs> Not enough time. We're, we're actually, you know, did, did you learn everything you needed to know in the tink, uh, the tech incubator? <laughs> Uh, definitely not. It's a lot of trial by fire. Um, as you can probably attest to, like, it's just a lot of like, you know, you figure it out and you, you roll with the punches and you ask questions and you try and surround yourself with smart people. You try and really work with some of the best and brightest and and hopefully you can attract them. And, um, I, I have the luxury of working with some of the smartest people I've ever worked with in my career, um, on our exec team. And they're super humble and just so smart and talented and, and care immensely about the business and the customer. And um, I'm not even just saying that I like, I, I just, I think so highly in, of them. And so, yeah, I mean, as it relates to fundraising and raising money, like um, I can tell you we're in the midst of that right now. Um, so we'll have something probably exciting to announce in the next month here um, with a really great partner. That's going to, you know, just really be supportive in what we're doing. And um, I don't take that kind of stuff lightly. I really try to align with the best partners and board members that, that see the long tail potential here and aren't in it for like a quick, a quick win. Like there's, there's, we have a lot of problems to solve here. We're not done. Yeah. What is the problem? (laughs) Oh man. Um, 
again, maybe another call. No, like late, like generally, uh, the, the, the I'm, work, I'm working, I'm working on your two minute drill pitch. <laughs> yeah. The, 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 like the, the biggest problem right now that I, if you were to talk to a lot of operators is really just kind of like, um, you know, the streamlining of communication, um, getting, you know, folks, um, like the, the integrations within systems is a, is a huge challenge. And that's a lot of pain points that we solve around that. and compliance, like compliance in California, compliance in New York, that's rolling out to other States. Like we're kind of, we're, we're, we're building a ton of that. And we, we've already shipped a lot of statewide compliance stuff. So I think yeah, as the industry evolves, we need to evolve with it and make sure we're scratching those hard pain points. I also tip management is like a crazy, um, from what we've heard um, that f- some folks do it really com- complex stuff around that thing. And um, so we're, we're rolling out things like that, that are going to streamline more processes for back office, send the right data to payroll, you know, move tips to the employee so, so like, you know, they can cash out digitally on that, like a digital wallet um, and just make it a little bit more free flowing for both the manager and the employee to try and operationalize some of these headaches. So a lot of integrated back office stuff, connectivity pain points that we're seeing. So as somebody obsessed with digital storytelling and content creation, um, I wanted to give your your guy, uh, DJ uh, Constantino, he's doing a phenomenal job. Like I said, I work with a lot of different tech companies and you know their content teams, marketing teams, but um, he understands, he gets it. Um, I know I was just recently on a podcast with him sharing our story, but um, can, you, can you tell me a little bit about the marketing side of your company and the, the idea behind you know, your content creation? And I mean, it, it gets back to open source ultimately right yeah i'm i'm um so we have like a few different marketing arms in the in the company ones like you know demand generation and uh one's kind of branding communication um so you know dj being on the 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 branding comms team i think you know it's really yeah it's really trying to tap into the, the the things that people care most about in terms of um things that are not only just relevant to opening, um, but succeeding and writing things that people are kind of experiencing right now. I think this is like a really tough time for operators. So there's a lot of folks that are trying to navigate the pandemic and, you know, you'd like to think that oh, we're, we're out of it. Like not quite. I know some places are doing better than others, but um, yeah, the strategy that, that DJ and the team have taken is really like creating kind of like a tool set and like a suite of articles that can help people that are contextually relevant to the things that they're actually dealing with right now. So yeah, I think I think highly of of, of DJ and the, and the team. One of the one of the things I, I love to ask guests about is, is any mentors that you have and any stories that they've taught you. Yeah, I've had a lot of um, folks support me throughout this journey. Um, I work with a you know a CEO coach, and um, he's been how great. Long, how long have you been working with him? Um, like. Four months, probably five months. Relatively new, but like, just you don't know what you don't know. And I'm, I'm always, you know, trying to learn more and be a better, better leader. And um, I think one thing to want to learn more and be better, it's another thing to hire a coach. And I think that's part of the thing that I'm most fascinated with. I mean, I just in the last year hired David Meltzer as my business coach and mentor. Um, But I'm fascinated with why hadn't I done it sooner? Why hadn't I, you know, brought somebody in? I had unofficial mentors and business advisors, but not a coach that's actually going to be working with me and holding me accountable. Why did you decide to hire one? Yeah. Um, for those same reasons, where are my blind spots? Like, 
people like kind of asking me questions that make me really go like, huh. And, you know, I think like what I liked about it is like uncovering some of the just personal things like, Hey, how's your relationship going? Like, how are the, your kids? Like, yeah. and I'm like, Whoa, you're talking to me about like, I hired you, but like, Whoa, <laughs> professional, like what are you doing getting in my personal life? But, the, but like, I want to know about my children. What's happening here? Yeah. 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 <laughs> exactly. Are you like outside my house? Like, yeah. What's going on? Um, yeah. But no, it was all the right questions. Right. It was all like, how are, how am I maintaining stress and how am I, um, you know, feeling about the team and, and where are our blind spots. And so I, I think it was really helpful, but also one of the best pieces of advice I got was from an, a board member um, when, when they, we raised our series a in, in 2019. And I, as a product person, I want to build the world. Like I want to just, there's so much I want to do. I'm passionate. I'm like, yeah, I just want to like, I want to get like, let's build it and like ship this next week. And products going like, are you insane? Like it's going to take us like, a week to like discuss what we actually want to do. Like you can't just, and so, but like, that's how I don't make, you know, I think of like, well, when we were five people, I moved so fast. I could build that into like a weekend. Like you guys are so slow, but that's not like, you know, velocity is changes as you grow your business. And so, um, um, and I think for the better, you know, in, in a lot of respects, um, hoping people can maintain that, you know, quick iteration and quick muscle too. But the best advice I got was, um, I was like, I, I wanted to jump here and kind of build like all this crazy stuff around. Um, you know, it's funny. It was like two years ago. I was like, we're going to build, build like real time payments and like, you know, for like wage access. And, and oh, well, one of the board members was like, you need to just relax and you need to just like build things that operators care about where they have pain points and focus on making a simple product that integrates better than anything else out there and takes away all those little cuts they deal with on an, on an everyday basis. And I like sat back and I was like, well, yeah, but that's like the obvious path. He's like, yeah, but that's how you build a, like an actual company. Like it's not reaching for like something that's, you know, years and years away. He's like, look, I'm not saying we're not going to get to that. Maybe at some point that will make sense. Yeah. But like, we're talking about the life cycle and you guys have only been scheduling. So like, let's talk about the life cycle. Let's talk about training. Let's talk about onboarding. Let's talk about hiring. Let's talk about like how those pieces connect. And, and I, I sat back and even for the next, like, you know, that changed the entire way I think about business. It like, it snapped me back into shape and it was just like, it was the whiplash I needed, like smarten up. Like you're building like a, a long-term company with like, you need to focus on the things that while they're obvious to you, managers don't have them. Yeah. So like, fix those problems, fix the real problems. And I'm like, yeah. advice. this is so such sound advice. I think about it almost every day too, as we're building product. I just think like, and think, and our VP of product is amazing. He just, he thinks that way. He's like, we're not building that. People yeah. don't care about that right now. People care about this. And this is what's causing more pain, more headaches. You know, X percent of our support requests are people asking for this. And it's like, can't lie. Can't lie with the data. You're looking for those trends. There you go. There's the trend. Like, 
you know? So I think it's a, to me, it's like the visionary aspect of me wants to build the world and the grounded aspect of me needs to make sure that we're constantly solving those pain points. And I think that that was a really healthy piece of feedback I, for me. I appreciate you sharing that. It's the, the difference between the chief visionary officer and the chief executive officer. <laughs> well, where are we? We're somewhere, somewhere in between. They, they, need, yeah. they need the vision. We yeah. need, still need to be the vision, but we also need to, you know, I need to not worry so much about barbecue for Bitcoin. <laughs> we'll, we'll figure that out as we go. Yes, I want to be the first barbecue restaurant to accept Bitcoin, but hey, you know, yeah, yeah. other problems. We're trying to launch this coach's kitchen. We're trying to get the restaurant back open. Come yeah, on. kind of your bare necessities. You're trying to like- It's already a barbecue media company. Come on, we've already given you and, enough. And it's not to say you can't use that to like attract people to attract- yeah. like- of like what you got planned and people to get excited about. Like I, we use our vision all the time to get people excited by it. I still do call it like final chats with um, candidates yeah. where they're just like, I talk to every single candidate that, that like makes it past our interview process. And I'm, so I'm part of the interview process and I get them, I want to get them pumped up before they come and start at seven shifts. Yeah. And I want them to know the vision and what we're working towards. And so there is that aspect where you need to have that. Um, but you, you need to be real about like, what are you building for the next month? What are you building for tomorrow? Like, but uh, yeah, you need to, you need to move between the tomorrow, the quarter and like the long term. right? You just need to oscillate between the two. Well, I love it. Um, I couldn't appreciate, you know, thank you so much for your time, for your, your radical candor, um, for letting us know, you know, giving us a glimpse into side, inside seven shifts. Uh, Jordan, I, I'm truly, truly honored that you spent the time. Where's the best place that people can find you and interact with you? Yeah, check, uh, check out sevenshifts.com, the number sevenshifts.com. Um, if you want to reach me personally. Um, I'm, my email is Jordan, J O R D A N at seven shifts.com. Uh, I'm like, like you mentioned earlier, I'm, I'm pretty active on LinkedIn. So, you know, shoot me a message there. Like I personally respond to every message. So, um, yeah, there's lots of ways to reach out to us and, um, yeah, check yeah. out seven shifts. Hopefully we can solve some of your pain points too. Uh, Jason Pfeiffer, the editor of Entrepreneur Magazine, he just recently featured Ryan Reynolds, who um, is an actor that does phenomenal viral videos with his marketing company. He's Canadian. Yeah, he's Canadian. He's a phenomenal Canadian. He's a hilarious Canadian. Yeah, I love him. He's, he's great. funnier than Sam the Cooking Guy. I'll tell. I'll tell Sam <laughs> that. Um, but with yeah, his gin. He's got his gin, with right? Gin, correct. Aviation yeah. gin. But he interviewed him, and one of the lessons that he put was at the end of his call, Ryan told him, "I'm weirdly available." And that's, uh, that's something that I think is is very appropriate. If somebody like that is weirdly available, if someone like you is weirdly available, um, I get people all the time that says, you know, I don't want to waste your time. I'm like, I'm weirdly available. <laughs> that's a great way of putting it. Like people just assume you're so crazy busy and they're like, no, no, like, like I'm sitting, do you see this chair here? Like, that's where I sit all day. Like, please reach out to me. <laughs> reach out to me. Trust me. Yeah, exactly. I need a friend. Just contact me. <laughs> Just contact me. My, my inbox is clean. Trust me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Inbox zero, one on three hours now. Hit me up. <laughs> Fair enough. Well, uh, stay curious, get involved. Don't be afraid to ask for help. If you need anything from me at Sean P. Welchef on social, that's on Clubhouse, TikTok, Twitter, LinkedIn, uh, Instagram, Facebook, you name it. That's where I am Sean at calibarbecue.media. Jordan, thank you so much for your time. Seven shifts, check them out. Thanks, Sean. Great, uh, great chat.